Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in Film, a podcast series on the New Books Network. I am your host, Joel Cherney. Today, I will be speaking with Walid F. Mahdi, Assistant Professor at the University of Oklahoma, about his book, Arab Americans in Film, From Hollywood and Egyptian Stereotypes to Self-Representation. The book was published in 2020 by Syracuse University Press. In our talk, Walid discusses his own background living in both the United States as well as Middle Eastern countries and how these experiences framed his view of how Arabs are portrayed in films. His book also focuses on Egyptian filmmakers and how their work has affected the view of the United States in Arab countries. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Walid F. Mahdi. Hey, Walid. Hey. Thanks for joining me. We're here to discuss your new book called Arab Americans in Film, From Hollywood and Egyptian Stereotypes to Self-Representation. I, when I saw a reference to this book, I, I felt it was a particularly valuable book to consider for, for review because um, it's a topic that is still, that is, as you point out, has been underrepresented in, in writing and more importantly, has a currency aspect to it that that uh, is very important. So, I'm glad we're going to get a chance to talk about it. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much, Joel. I really appreciate uh, offering me the opportunity to talk about my book, and uh, uh, thank you for your interest. So, you are you teach at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, what is your basic uh, specialty specialization? Yes, so I specialize in U.S. Arab cultural politics. So I look at issues of identity, identity politics, uh, cultural representations in multiple contexts, in American, Arab, and Arab-American contexts. So I do a lot of comparative, uh, comparative work right. in, my, in, in, my, in my teaching, research and teaching as well. So where does your interest in, is, is there a film included in that, or is your interest in film different? Well, I, I do look at films as part of uh, cultural productions that go in, uh, into uh, questions of identity and representations, but I'm not exclusively uh, a film studies, you know, uh, a scholar per se. I look, uh, I think of myself as a cultural studies uh, scholar where I look at a number of, of uh, media, including uh, that, that includes, of course, uh, film and, and literary productions uh, as well. But for the sake of my book, I chose film to, uh, to focus on film for a sp- uh, specific reasons, I guess, related to the film itself, to, to the research question that I, I embarked in. Right. Answering. Have you had a interest, a personal interest in film over your, over your life? Or I, mean, I assume so. Most folks, you know, we, we now, are, films are a part of our lives, at least in some way, shape or forms. Um, I know much of your part of your book is has some autobiographical aspects of it, and to your own personal experience. So, 
does your interest in film relate to uh, your own experiences that way? Yes, I mean, definitely. I, I grew up watching films, and not only I grew up in Yemen, by the way, uh, not in the United States, and uh, I grew up watching films, Hollywood films all the time. Of course, uh, I was exposed to Bollywood films as well. And for the most part, what I watched was Arab films, primarily Egyptian films. And uh, that possibly explains why <laughs> part of the reasons I chose uh, to focus on Hollywood and Egyptian cinema in, in particular uh, for the sake of my book, uh, there is that aspect to it. I, I grew up uh, uh, excited about learning uh, uh, about uh, looking at images, uh, seeing how, how representations function uh, in, in screen and uh, how identity is attached, codified uh, and communicated to, to mass audiences, uh, sometimes uh, beyond uh, a national border. Like the case of Hollywood, for example, really, yes, it's for the most part, it's been produced with the intended audiences, American audiences in mind, but the, the films travel globally. And uh, I remember when I was growing up as a child uh, uh, in 80s and throughout the 90s and uh, into early 2000s, being excited about watching these films and offered me the opportunity to learn English along the way too, right? So... Uh, so there is that personal interest uh, in film, but there are of course uh, other other uh, reasons why I chose film for the sake of my research, uh, including how uh, film has become, uh, as a medium in the past twenty years, become very crucial in in mediating uh, uh, many of the question uh, issue uh, politics of the time. In a way, much of the post nine eleven anxiety around Islam, Muslims. Uh, projections of, uh, of war on terror, in a way, uh, have found w ways to be communicated through 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 films in in, in sometimes interesting, effective ways. Uh, and films usually do not require literacy in a way. They don't require you to know the language. They don't require you to uh, be an elite of some sort. You know, it could be a, an average Joe, you know, or an average Mo. In this case, in, in, in the Arab world, we call him average Mo. That's Muhammad. Uh, where we, you could easily still consume uh, foreign uh, products like films in particular and, and get most out of it, you know. So there's that definitely personal uh, uh, interest in films in part because there is, they have mass appeal. And, and they cannot they can easily penetrate markets in ways that novels, for example, cannot. And in fact, you start the book with a personal anecdote uh, related to uh, what it's been like for you as an Arab who lives in the United States, as far as going back and forth and coming to the back to the United States for any particular travel and what it has become. And this is the part where when I was reading the book, I said, here's the personal aspect that sometimes we don't see in academic works. There people can write about topics with no problem from all kinds of studying and even a little bit of personal experience. But I think your book in particular, and if you want to talk a little bit about some of these issues and how you know how you as, a, as someone who lives in the United States but, but with, with their background, um, have to deal with things that are different and particularly related to things like travel. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. So, uh, when I, yes, I, I, you're right to point that uh, at the end of the day, this project uh, uh, has touched on uh, some personal <laughs> nerves in my, in, 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 my, in my life. And I thought uh, it, it, the research question, the way I developed the book, the comparative elements all are all reflections of my personal uh, my personal journey in a way. Uh, I grew up in Yemen. I came to the United States after 9-11. Uh, primarily for the sake of education, to do master's and PhD. And uh, before I knew it, you know, uh, primarily during my graduate studies, I, I, I studied how Arab Americans have historically been uh, subjected to forms of alienation, discrimination, violence, uh, exclusion in the United States, and how uh, there is an element of racialization, there is an Orientalist sort of heritage that have, uh, cast Arabs, Arabs in the United States as an other, as a foreign, as a, as a foreigner, as an alien, if you if you like, and uh, and so so I've read a lot of that during my graduate school, but then when I would travel elsewhere after, of course, getting my American citizenship, when I traveled back to the Arab world back and forth, I I realized that there's something interesting in uh, uh, my in how I, I, I read mass, I read myself, I've been reading myself in those during those travels, my identity in a way, and how others have have done so. So I've always thought of myself as an Arab American uh, of a Yemeni background, uh, but at the same time during my travels, I've realized that my own identification isn't clearly embraced, neither in the United States nor in Arab countries, you know. So when I go to Arab countries, the first thing I, the first challenge I'm, I face is in the airports, you know, whether that is in Dubai, in Egypt, in Morocco, you know, in any Arab country or, or Muslim countries sometimes, like Turkey or Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, Malaysia, for example. So there's that element of uh, bewilderment when, the, when, they, when, when officials look at mm, my American passport, but there is a line in that passport that says born in Yemen. So so there is a tendency to treat me as a Yemeni in a way, and whatever that term and identity brings with it. And But at the same time, they're forced to treat me as an American as well. So there is that anxiety around being both a Yemeni and American uh, that, that, I'm, uh, that I'm, I'm clearly, uh, I, I clearly feel uh, visible during my interactions with uh, airport officials, but at the same time, when I go in, in into the countries and start interacting with people, I, I realize that people treat me more. Sometimes they hold me uh, 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 responsible for the you know vices and virtues of the United States. You know, they, th they treat me as an American, but at the same time, they they question me. They think of, they ask me questions about foreign U.S. foreign policy that that constantly. Make me feel that these questions are not are less about really learning about who I am, uh, like what's my position, academic position about U.S. foreign policy, as, as much as the questions are meant uh, to uh, identify uh, who I belong, where I belong to. Am I an American or am I an Arab and Muslim? So there is that constant uh, interest um, by people I talk and interact with in, in many Arab countries that cannot recognize that I could be both. You know, I could I could occupy. Uh, both worlds. Uh, I could be visible in America. I could be visible in the Arab world. I could be myself. As I could, I could occupy that third space and navigate 
uh, America and as well as the Arab world without necessarily having to be, to be ident- uh, identify myself in with one nation in a way. Uh, yes, I'm American, I'm, and yes, I'm an Arab. So uh, I I can be both in a way. So what I'm and and when I come back to the United States at the airports, there is eventually a welcome back home. But before the welcome back home, there is could we step aside and let's have more conversation? You know, there is like that uh, arbitrary sort of uh, questioning that I that I'm forced to undergo. And again. Part of that is the very line in my passport that's that says that I'm, I was born in Yemen, in a way. So, so I'm not. I'm, I'm constantly reminded that I'm not fully American in the United States, and I'm constantly reminded that I'm not fully Arab or fully American when I go to the Arab world. And that's that, that kind of identity, sort of anxiety, like nationalist articulations of, of anxiety around my own identity, that pushed me to ask. Uh, and, and consider uh, and I'll theorize through this book uh, that Arab Americanness, necess- uh, yes, as I studied, uh, has been a product of uh, decades of U.S. nationalist exclus- exclusionary narratives. But at the same time, can we push that a little bit further and and, and think of it in, in in transnational way? And what I've realized, at least in my book, and I theorized it, is that Arab Americanness, in a way, really is a by product of polarizations that exist in the United States and the Arab world. Yes, unfortunately, the United States is, <laughs> has always been known for um, exclusionary aspects, particularly when we're looking at, when we're talking about people that quote-unquote look different. Um, and, you know, the policies towards Asians, uh, you know, have has always been one that is Set, put together with a lot of problems um, in this country, in the United States. So um, I understand that fully. But on the other hand, as you're pointing out, there are issues on the other side too where um, Americans are viewed a certain way over in um, in the other countries as well, in Arab countries. And it isn't automatically something where it's automatically positive because, you know, you're American or you have American citizenship uh, as opposed to you know, so you, as you're pointing out here, both ways you have to deal with the same issue. Let me ask you, when you go to Arab countries, do you find yourself trying to uh, reduce this American aspect to try to keep it as uh, as low as possible? Or do you just feel like I'm going to, I am American as well, so I have to uh, to remember that and not shy away from it? I mean, to be honest, it's 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 hard to escape uh, or reduce, in a way, one's Americanness, you know, because, you know, you as much yes, I grew up in the Arab world for the first twenty five years of my life, but then I I've, I've lived longer also in the United long in the United States, long enough to uh, to feel to to or at least to in the way I think, in the way I talk, in the way I behave, in the way I conduct myself. Uh, by virtue of having been educated and uh, and uh, immersed myself in in a lot of in, uh, intellectual conversations, that I feel like I'm automatically somehow different in a way, right? And when I go back to Yemen, for example, I'm not the same person anymore. You know, it's different. So I cannot. Yes, I I am Yemeni in a way. I I was born there, raised there, but when I go back there, people could easily tell that I'm not. Yemeni in a way that I'm not 
living there that I'm a little bit that I'm different in a way. Even though I speak the language, I speak the dialect, I know the culture, I know a lot of things. But it's it's hard to escape the fact that you, you grow somehow in a different context and the details of life, the nuances of experiences change you, change the way you think, the way you behave, the way you you think, you, you conduct yourself in a way. So as much as you try to, uh, as much as uh, if, I, if, I, if I ever try to to uh, uh, reduce my Americanness in a way, I can't, you know, and that's that's part of the argument that I uh, that is impossible to somehow. Uh, it's not like a switch where you could just switch your Arabness and uh, on when you are in Arab context and switch your, off your Arabness when you are in the United States. Switch on your Americanness in the United States and switch on your Arabness in the Arab world. It, it certainly does not function that way. Uh, in part because Arab Americans occupy a very unique space, a third space in a way. That it's different, of course. Not every Arab American experiences that third space in a similar in a similar way. But the experiences are different. There are th- those who are closer to American context. There are those who are closer to Arab context. Uh, there are those who reject one of the context, right? But but. Especially for first-generation migrants, it's 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 always a challenge to really uh, not be both in a way, not not be, and also for first and second-generation uh, Arab Americans, there is always that constant uh, uh, reminder that you have to somehow embrace both identities because there is a, a lot of elements of strength in both, really. Uh, I'm proud American, but at the same time, I'm also proud of my heritage. I'm proud of my Arab, uh, Arabic culture, Islamic civilization, the, the complexity, the richness uh, that my backgrounds uh, bring uh, are, are really things that make me more proud of anything, really. And and uh, the for- nationalist forces that constantly push one to give up on one identity, whether that is the post-9-11 anxiety around that constantly think of Islam and Muslims as, 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 as you know, uh, either good or bad in a way, right? I mean, there's, there's that constant phobia. And whether, or in the, in the Arab world, where people who are raised in the United States somehow are, are thought of sometimes as uh, within suspicion, you know, are they American-American? Are they American sympathizers? Are they uh, dissidents, you know, are they bringing destabilizing forces to uh, the Arab world, you know? So th- there's that constant uh, paranoia and suspicion about people raised in the United States. And uh, But the thing is, I, I've, I try my best to embrace both identities in the United States and in the Arab world in a way to, to it's my own personal sort of response to the uh, restrictive nationalist narratives that exist both in the United States and there in many Arab countries. Let's talk. Let's start a little bit more in depth when we let's talk about the Arab side first, because I think most of the American, obviously, people in the United States would probably be, or, or people who are uh, more familiar with American filmmaking, would probably be able to pick out more obvious things on that side, and we'll talk about that in a, in a bit. But what, how developed, can we talk a little bit about the history of the Arab film industry? Um, how long has it been uh, really uh, been 
popular over there? I mean, when did filmmaking really start getting into a, a, an industry in, in the Arab world? And what kind of uh, success has there been in trying to develop a distinctly Arab or uh, individual countries uh, film industry? Yes, uh, that's a very good question. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to Egyptian cinema, for example, the, the site I'm, I'm investigating and examining in my book, uh, the history of uh, filmmaking is as old as Hollywood, you know. Uh, really, films go back all the way to the silent cinema era, to the early uh, 1900s. Uh, of course, in the very beginning, uh, the during the tens and tweens of, of, of the, the 20th century, much of the production was influenced by a European, primarily French and Italian filmmakers. But uh, during the 20s of the 20th century, you started seeing uh, more film uh, industri- localized forms of films, uh, filmmaking, in part because there were local Egyptian entrepreneurs who really uh, created studios, the most uh, famous one is Studio Masr, Egyptian studio. And uh, there were some commercial aspects attached to filmmaking. So so when we think of uh, filmmaking in the, the Egyptian context in particular, the cinema is, is, has a very strong uh, and rich history. The 30s and the, to, all the way to the 60s is known as the golden uh, uh, cinema, the golden years of the cinema. Uh, uh, in part because there was a lot of variety in in, in the production of, uh, of films ranging from musicals to uh, to melodrama to uh, uh, films that uh, have uh, elements of tragedy and comedy in them and all that and 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 Egyptian cinema has then uh, had broader appeal to the Arab world. Uh, really, it's one of the things that connected many Arabs, despite the many divisive and dividing uh, uh, elements that exist, uh, political divisions, for example, that exist among Arab nations exist, has been always there. Uh, but Egyptian cinema somehow then functioned as a unifying, has a unifying aspect to it because there's, yes, it's Egyptian dialect for the most part, but there is that Arabic element to it. You know, it's Arabic culture. It's not Hollywood. It's not Bollywood. It's like something that, People in Morocco or in Yemen or in you know, and in any Arab country really could, could could easily connect with, because they could identify these characters. Although there was some Western influence to how the characters appeared, but throughout the decades, you know, 60s all the way to the present, uh, the, the, there was an element of localization to how films uh, have developed. Uh, and so Egyptian cinema has a very well-developed history. It's a, a, a hegemon in a way, you know. It, it functions as an attractive hub for uh, uh, Arab filmmakers, directors, actors, uh, people who seek uh, uh, cinematic success in a way. They always think of Egypt as a site. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there are some relative stable cinemas, not similar to Egypt in a way, but still visible, like Algerian cinema, uh, there's filmmaking in Morocco, there's filmmaking in Lebanon. Uh, really, it wasn't until recently that you start seeing filmmakers from Yemen, from Saudi Arabia, from Kuwait, from United Arab Emirates, emerging in a way, you know, so 
while Egypt has maintained a very dominant role in cinema in the Arab world that, that has appealed to mass audiences across the Arab-speaking world, uh, other national cinemas didn't really thrive until recently. You know, in the past 20 years, for example, you start witnessing an, a very interesting emergence of films, primarily uh, through the independent filmmaking. You know, mostly most of the filmmakers are independent filmmakers. Some of them seek support from European funders. Some of them produce films for the sake of selling them in European markets. Uh, but at the same time, there, there is also some national investment in filming, which is uh, exciting, you know. And uh, film Arab film festivals, for example, is uh, are thriving everywhere, you know, including in the United States, where you see possible uh, uh, emergence and screening of, of many wonderful filmic accounts of of uh, of Arab narratives, local narratives uh, about identity, about culture, about the understandings of reality in a way. And and so uh, there is that very interesting dynamics where you see Egypt still dominates in a way, but there are em- emerging and, uh, contributions uh, from various national contexts. Uh, consider, for example, the Palestinian cinema. It's a very well-thriving cinema in a, in a diasporic context, you know, Many Palestinian filmmakers have have presented wonderful films that have captivated many Arabs and Americans alike sometimes too. And uh, but still, so there's an, a, a mode of emergence of filmmaking in multiple national contexts. But at the same time, there is a, some sort of dominating filmmaking industry, and that is lies in it lies it lies really in in Egypt. That's why Egypt is called the Hollywood of the East. You know, the Hollywood of the Nile sometimes it's been called as well. Of course, it's a little different, though, in the sense that it's a different country, as opposed to the United States, where you could have Hollywood, but it's still part of the United States, and therefore it's less likely to have as many differences as you might find in review. I mean, we have a tendency, and that's, you know, I say we as Americans, we tend to view other countries as a group rather than individualism, which... Because we, if we don't know much about it, we tend to think of it that way. And as you're pointing out, there are differences. And so when we review Arab cinema, understanding that there are going to be differences from one country or one region to another, it's it's definitely much you know more involved than here, where you filmmaking in um, Hollywood is not that it's not going to be completely different from filmmaking that might be done in New York or other parts of the country. As opposed, it, it, the two don't translate to being the same thing. Yes, yes, and uh, part of it, part of that is that many Arab countries are in a post-colonial phase, really. You know, because many of these Arab countries have been were liberated during the fifties, the sixties, from European colonial control, direct control at least, and uh, and so how post-colonial, uh, how how these societies emerged since then. Uh, has in, uh, interestingly been heading in multiple directions that complicated reality on the ground. That, that of course, when you compare it to the United States, seems so different, right? Because the United States has that uh, coherent element to it. There is a national narrative. There is a, a national uh, understandings of Americanness. You know, sometimes that very defined through ra- racial terms. But in the Arab world, it's complicated. It's part of it is because geopolitics are complicated in the ground. 
that there are at least 22 Arab countries. These countries at some point uh, shared uh, an Arab nationalist narrative that didn't work out because they couldn't unify politically into one country like the United States. Uh, states of Arabia, for example, you know, that never worked. And uh, and so uh, because that geopolitical awareness didn't work, East, East, uh, and, and also the other narrative of Islamic, uh, let's, let's unify in the name of Islam, also didn't work. Uh, so, so because these two uh, master narratives of unification around Arab identity or Islamic identity never worked in part because those who inherited these countries are, were military dictatorships and they were very much invested in the in, in maintaining their own uh, politics and and state nationalism in the western sense really made sense to these uh, uh, regimes and uh, there has been a very strong investment in maintaining one's difference within that Arab and Islamic context, right? So Egyptians are, yes, they're Arab, many of them. Yes, uh, uh, majority of them are Muslim, but they should identify themselves as Egyptian. And so the same then with Lebanese and the same with Jordanians and the same with Algerians. So there's that, there's a common denominator of Arabness and Islam. These are very common denominators. And when someone has to produce a film Sometimes they they, they, they they may inject into these films these awarenesses, the Arabness, awarenesses of Islam and religion and all that. But at the same time, there is a very nationalist, state nationalist, like in the case of Egyptian, there's a very Egyptian narrative uh, of, of how you see things that so that appears so differently than the way it's developed by if the if films are produced in Moroccan context or the Palestinian context or the Yemeni or or the Emirati or the Saudi context. So there is that very strong particularity to it that that definitely appears way different than than the way it does with with Hollywood. It's like the, the difference between the colonial and the post-colonial. You know, if you were to compare both of these cinemas in a way, Hollywood, uh, whether I agree with me or not, it's, it's, a, it's a colonial sort of uh, filmmaking si- hub in a way, because it, 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 not only because it's part of uh, the United States, which is a power, uh, has been a powerful uh, a power in the, in the globe, and uh, sometimes uh, power that has implications of 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 of, 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 of power elsewhere in the middle east or many muslim countries and, and, and latin america and all that but also because hollywood itself functions as an empire you know uh, the way they're producing films the way they market the films the way that hollywood appeals to others when you see now people call, uh, when you see emergence of bollywood nollywood uh, egypt called hollywood nollywood that is nigeria filmmaking in nigeria they call him nollywood and and uh, in Egyptian cinema, you see the, the the national third world cinemas are being labeled in relevance to Hollywood. So Egypt then is the Hollywood of the Nile, or of the East. Morocco is the Hollywood of Africa. You know, so so every every one of those countries somehow is defined in relation to uh, Hollywood. So there is that sort of colonial aspect of Hollywood itself as an industry. Uh, but these countries, uh, these national industries in general in the Arab world or elsewhere, uh, function then uh, in ways that reflect the post-colonial modes of their societies.
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And I'm sure there's no coincidence about the fact that Hollywood as a location and an industry grew at the same time that the United States was becoming a more global power prior to the 19th, you know, prior to World War One and a little bit before then. But the United States tended to be very you know, insular, and yet over time, and this is when Hollywood begins to build, um, the industry is building at the same time that the rest of the country is decided is deciding to to ex, ex, experience the world or and have the world experience them. True, true. Yes, and at some points uh, when when you look at Hollywood. There have been moments of intersectionalities where, where there was at some point, uh, and so there is still uh, direct support from government, you know, from, from the Pentagon, for example. There's a very well-organized structure around uh, Pentagon support for Hollywood. There is that direct, very direct investment in Hollywood. But, and, but at the same time, there is that indirect sort of, uh, you know, uh, manifestations of power that by virtue of Hollywood producing films that circulate the globe and, and, and educate everybody else in beyond the United States about America's views and how these views are supposed to then become uh, universal in a way. And it, it, it speaks of, of, of a power that, that could, could not easily be replicated by other national industries, like especially the Egyptian cinema. And that's why really in my book, I don't uh, equate Egypt. Yes, I compare between Hollywood and Egypt, but I remind my readers that these are not the same. The power dynamics are different. You know, if I say Hollywood alienate and Egypt uh, Egyptian cinema alienate, they both alienate, but but at the same time, that alienation process is different. You know, because the power dynamics are different, and what's at stake is different, and how communities like Arab Americans being implicated in that is different, right? When you look at, in my in my book, for example, the first two chapters of the book, the first chapter looks at Hollywood's imagination of Arab Americans since the 70s. And I argue that Arab Americans have been presented in the cinema as uh, either homegrown terrorists uh, or uh, or foreign, you know, uh, or through the lenses of foreign policy, they're they're not really American. They're they're infiltrators, people who want to come and change the way uh, uh, Americans' uh, foreign policy somehow or, or American politics in general uh, function. So obviously, the dynamics here, when we make that conclusion, are way different than the dynamics of alienation that happens in Egyptian cinema. When I look at Egyptian cinema uh, in chapter two. I, I look at films produced since the 90s, and uh, and much of these films, yes, they they exclude Arab Americans in the sense that it, they don't present Arab Americans as Arab Americans. They present Arab American characters as either Arab or American. And if you're American, you're great. If, uh, if you're Arab, you're great. If you're American, you're terrible. Yes, I mean, it has very interesting, simplified, 
polaristic sort of binaristic uh, understandings of identity. But at the same time, uh, uh, these films present Islam differently than the way Hollywood presents Islam. These films function uh, as a sort of within a globalization context that is different from the one uh, that Hollywood does. These films still find ways to complicate understandings of uh, Arabness and Americanness in ways that are not available in Hollywood, right? So there's a lot of differences still in the nuances of representation between the two cinemas. So as far as Arab cinema is concerned, I know we've talked about, you mentioned Egypt in particular. Um, are there cinema, are there centers of cinema in Arab countries that are religious? I know, obviously, some countries in, in, in the Arab world are still, the government is still secular, or reasonably secular, although the religion is, is part. It's, it's not as... Uh, I don't want to. I'm trying to come up with the right word, but you know what I mean. Uh, some yeah. countries are more dominant as far as the religious aspect. Um, are there are there? I'm going to assume there's differences between the two, the the two types of cinema. But what kind of differences do you see in those situations, or is there really that much of a difference? Yeah, I mean, it's it's well, I mean, there's no in the Arab world in particular. Uh, and even in countries like Iran uh, and Turkey, uh, filmmakers, uh, though at least those who have become pub uh, capable of producing content that has gone viral and, and popular and well-received, they tend to be secular, in, 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 uh, byproducts of secular uh, thinking and narrations of, of one's identity in a way. And uh, it shouldn't be surprising in countries like Holy, uh, Egypt, for example, uh, it shouldn't, that shouldn't be surprising because the, the military dictatorship there since the 60s, 50s really have, have always been secular, you know, have always uh, maintained an, an anti-Islamist sort of uh, repressive uh, policies that cannot accept uh, Islamists in particular, those who want to use Islam or, or, or for the sake of politics, uh, in politics, uh, cannot fully accept them because the military regimes in country like Egypt, they see that as an enemy. And the Muslim Brotherhood, for example, have always been uh, in jail or when allowed to function in society, very well uh, controlled. Maybe the, I think that if you look at right now at what's ha what's how it's going on in in the Egyptian context, you'll see the Muslim Brotherhood itself has been banned, you know, although in 2013, uh, the Brotherhood had uh, big representations in, in the two houses uh, of the Congress, and at the same time, they had the first Islamist president uh, in power, but his presidency only lasted for a year before the military uh, regime took back uh, control of the country, though that Islamist president was democratically and freely elected. But the dynamics of power in Egypt uh, has always uh, uh, repressed, uh, created conditions for for uh, impossibility, really, of, of thriving of an Islamist sort of film, uh, Muslim religious films, in a way. And, and that certainly doesn't mean that what has been produced, let's say, in Egyptian cinema and many Arab countries, 
does not have religious elements to it. I mean, when you look at Egyptian cinema, for example, uh, many of the films still talk about Islam and value Islam and glorify Islam in ways that Hollywood does not, right? So there is that religious aspect to it. Uh, when we, uh, there are films that talk about terrorism, Pick any film that talk about uh, terrorism in uh, an Egyptian any Egyptian film that talk about terrorism, and compare that with Hollywood. Uh, obviously, uh, terrorism there is there are people attached uh, being represented in the two industries. Uh, terrorists are somehow mobilized by religious sentiments. Uh, they have their own understandings of religion, and and then or they present their own interpretations of religion as. Uh, tools to legitimize their violence, but the way Hollywood does it, it really never somehow recognizes Islam uh, as a uh, as a legitimate religion, as as a, as a peaceful religion as well. You know, as as a religion that that is available for all. It depends on the individuals how they take it. In a way, uh, if you're a religious person, if you're a violent person, you 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 bring violence to it. If you're a peaceful person, you bring peace to it. And uh, there is a tendency in Hollywood, at least, to project then Islam and any signs of Islam, whether, they, whether that's uh, ablution or calls for prayers or just the images, images of uh, dress codes, a beard and all that, hijab, uh, the headscarf that women wore, uh, present them as signifiers of terror and fear. But the case of Egypt, Egypt is different. In Egypt, you see, yes, they present uh, extremists, uh, in in, in in reductive ways, they're anti-human, they're anti-civil, uh, anti-everything. Uh, uh, they betray as, as individuals who betray their own societies and cultures and religions, but at the same time, still glorify Islam, still think of Islam as a, as a, as a, in the bigger picture, as as a, as an important uh, religion uh, that needs to be respected. And sometimes in Egypt, you see films that talk about religious tensions. Let's say between Islam, Muslims, and Christians, but the the the, the bigger picture at the end of the day, uh, there is that always constant value of the religions themselves as important parcels uh, of the society, while at the same time demonize uh, people who use Islam for political reasons. Now, what happens in in Egypt, in, for example, in Egyptian cinema and many Arab countries probably fo follow the same lines, is that there's an in a very intentional calculation in how uh, images of change are being presented that relates to, to religion. So if positive images are attached to, for example, uh, Islam itself as a religion, and uh, if, you want, if you want to fight terrorism, for example, then you're not presented as a religious person fighting terrorism, but you're presented either as a military person, as a, uh, as a police officer, as uh, anti-religious sort of secular uh, uh, person, you know, you're not, you're never presented as a uh, cinema does not present religious people necessarily as agents of change, and the reason it does so because uh, there is an intentional sort of uh, interest in dismissing any person with religious views, uh, dismissing their ability to claim. Change to claim to be agents of change, uh, and that's why because the industry has silenced the Muslim Brotherhood for a long time, then uh, it shouldn't be surprising that the, there's a cultural norm, at least in Egypt, that that takes advantage of 
the currency that religion offers, that Islam is great, there's a lot of morality to it, so the, the positive values attached to uh, the characters, honesty, sincerity, uh, uh, faithfulness to one's uh, home uh, and, and culture and people and, and respect for peace, they're all positive values that Islam offers. So they, they are taken advantage of in how uh, the characters are developed in many of those films. But at the same time, you don't see a religious person per se as a good person. You know, religious persons tend to be presented as bad people in a way because they are tied to politics, you know, because they, they don't want Muslim Brotherhood's type of people to, to be viewed favorably. And I'm not talking about films produced by the state. I'm talking about films produced by private sectors here primarily, right? Which tells you something about how the private and the public somehow collided around uh, and collapsed to produce a very narrow nationalistic understandings of religion. How is, in, I know it's hard to be uh, specific, I mean, or, or jet to, we don't want to overgeneralize, but um, Americans in Egyptian films, uh, are there some portrayals that tend to show similarities? Uh, are, are, are Arab, or particularly Egyptian filmmakers, uh, using Arab, um, American characters in their films, and are they given a particular, um, shown a certain way, sort of almost in the same way that sometimes Arabs are shown in American cinema? Um, I mean, first, uh, many of the characters that play American characters in many of the actors playing uh, American characters in many of the Egyptian films are Egyptian characters to begin with. They don't like employ American character actors to play American characters in those films. So there, you see many of the character actors are Egyptian, you know? And uh, so that's a very important point. Uh, and uh, at the same time, when it comes to Egyptian portrayals of America and Americans in particular, there is a, a it's, they're very, very reductive, you know. They're very reductive, stereotypical, very diverse Hollywood's portrayals, in a way. Uh, Hollywood thinks of Arabs and Muslims as terrorists, as people who are alien, uh, undesirable uh, enemies, in a way. Uh, people who strike fear in, in, in the heart of America. People who somehow are antagonistic to uh, what the U.S. stands for. Uh, Egyptian cinema does some subversion in presenting American characters as as materialistic, as uh, unfaithful, as uh, violent, as disrespectful, as too individualistic at the cost of family and uh, society, as uh, people who care less about society in general and care more about their own selfish needs, you know, as dollar worshippers, you know. There's that very negative very negative polarizing Im images of, of Americans in general. But at the same time, there is an element of fascination still with America, which is something you don't see in Hollywood, right? That fascination, that simultaneous uh, portrayal of, 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 of negative uh, negativity and at the same time, that element of fascination. In the case of Egypt, there is still a, an element of admiration for America's prosperity. Uh, uh, ju relative justice, you know, relative freedom, uh, a bit progress, 
you know, a development. Uh, th there's that element of fascination to what Amer America's uh, capable of in, 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 in moving individuals to uh, uh, or creating conditions for success in a way for individuals. But at the same time, you see filmmakers uh, intentionally, they present these uh, positive images of America only to at some point uh, showcase their limitations. That yes, America is wonderful, but it's wonderful only to the people that it should, it, it's wonderful too in a way, right? So Arabs and Muslims are not by definition then uh, uh, included in that wonder, right? Yes, it's great. It's good to think of the American dream. The American dream sounds exciting and all that, but the American dream is, is not available to Muslims. It's not available to Arabs. If anything, Arabs and Muslims are presented as different, as bad. as So there is that then uh, intentional, uh, uh, critical sort of uh, evaluation of uh, the prejudice, the racism that, that prevails in the U.S. in general, but the post-9-11 sort of also uh, mechanization of that prejudice in the case of uh, Arabs and Muslims in the and how Arab American Arabs and Muslims in general have been somehow excluded or feel excluded antagonized stigmatized uh, surveilled policed tortured you know there's that element of 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 feeling somehow alien to the American space because because not Hollywood decide to present Arabs and Muslims as alien but because the entire system, the entire institutions, you know, somehow decided to think of Arabs and Muslims in the United States as, as different. And, and, and so in Egypt, Egyptian cinema then, is, it's ambivalent. The, the portrayals of America is ambivalent, you know. Uh, it's not straightforward like Hollywood, because Hollywood, you just got very straightforward representations. But in Egypt, it's ambivalent. And I think, and I argue in my book, it's because it's ambivalent, uh, we shouldn't say... Yes, America, I mean, Egypt, Egyptian cinema still present America in very stereotypical, very negative, very terrible and straightforward ways sometimes that reminds you of Hollywood. But one should be careful uh, not to use the word anti-American in, 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 in characterizing these films because when you say anti-American, then you, you just dismiss what the, 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 the vitality of the message that these films uh, are meant to produce in a way. And you dismiss the nuances that these films bring about. And many of the filmmakers in Egyptian cinema are careful uh, to produce an anti-sort of colonial, anti-imperial uh, uh, agenda. But at the same time, that anti is not necessarily meant to, for the sake of just dumbing the audience or for the sake of dismissing America as a power. Uh, but it's meant to sort of, sort of to provide a voice, a sense of agency to, uh, to a society, whether that is an Egyptian society or if you think about it in broader terms as Arab society or a Muslim society, a sense of agency to fight back, you know, to think of America differently. Yes, it might, America might be a wonderful country in a way. But it really is not that much different after all, because look at what happened in Iraq. Look, uh, the, 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 the atrocities, the, 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 the devastation that occurred in that country. Just look at the drone warfare, you know, look at how America has conducted its power in very disruptive ways in many Muslim countries. Then look also how Arabs and Muslims in the United States 
are being treated. So, so filmmakers then manage to show good things, but their portrayal of those good aspects of America are only meant to somehow then enable them to present very sometimes staunch critique of what America stands for. But I still argue that at the end of the day, I, I don't adopt the term anti-American, but this doesn't change the fact that at the end of the day, what you see when you look at Egyptian films, there is still that very reductive understandings of identity. That that doesn't really, especially when it comes to Arab Americans, that doesn't uh, really acknowledge Arab Americans as a society. You know, because the films say, since America is alienating to Arab Americans, then there is no such a thing as Arab Americans. You're either American, which means you're you're you have forsaken your Arabic and Islamic heritage you have you know betrayed your own societies you have become a dollar worshiper in a way or you're an egyptian you're a muslim you're an arab if you choose to reject america and seek your own dream not in the american dream but in seek it in egypt maybe think of an egyptian dream you know seek it in your own homeland away from america in a way so but that's very reductive way of thinking doesn't acknowledge the power of arab americans in uh, and 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 there's spaces that exist between between the two societies in a way, and their ability to produce their own dreams in transnational ways. And of, and of course, uh, one of your other points, and when, when we're talking about filmmaking in the United States as it relates to Arabs, is that this we Hollywood and other groups that are filmmakers. I mean, I know it's more of an independent system now, but. The United States film, make, film industry hasn't yet gotten to a point where they can truthfully say they are doing anything to help um, get away, f- to shift from the uh, current uh, attitude towards Arabs in film. And that's part of the, the problem that Hollywood still is dealing with, that there really isn't and it hasn't been a real good shift to uh, getting away from these stereotypes and more and just as importantly uh, viewing uh, Arabs and Arab Americans uh, as not just sympathetic you use the word sympathetic in one place but also as uh, with a real function and, and, and for exclusion and in inclusion as opposed to exclusion Yes, that's a very good point, and and I think uh, there are two points to this. And one is that uh, that's a that's part of the problem is that it looks like what happens in Hollywood uh, there's a, there's an institutional problem, you know, and that institutional problem uh, doesn't allow space for for inclusion in in, in big ways. Uh, if you remember, just the Oscars, for example, until recently, until 2016, 2017. Uh, Actors boycotted Oscar because they thought of it as a wild, as a white sort of ceremony in a way. There is no the, the absence of inclusion in recognition of the various talents that exist in Hollywood was just a sign of how problematic the issue has become in the industry. Of course, there have been active ways to change that culture of inclusion uh, of exclusion in the, the, the Oscars, but but in the filmmaking themselves. There have been actually, you know, moments and spaces for Arab filmmakers and Arab actors to make some changes, uh, at least in relation to their own careers. You know, so you have Arab American actors, for example, who 
have somehow been capable of uh, playing roles that may not necessarily play their own ethnicity. You know, like if you look at uh, Rami Malik, for example, who plays uh, uh, Human Rhapsody, and right. yeah, and uh, exactly, and Mr. Robot, and all that. Uh, and you see, look at Tony Shalhoub. These are Arab American actors who have made it, who in a way, who have been capable of playing uh, other characters. They're not stigmatized in playing their own terrorist sort of uh, liminal, uh, liminal, uh, liminal sort of characters. But at the same time, of course, that means that they they still have to play those stereotypes many times over during their career. Uh, they, while, while there have been successes to individuals in this case, many other actors are still excluded in a way, right? I talked to many of them in Los Angeles and really feels frustrating for actors to not be able to, to play, to, to, to showcase their talent. And because they're constantly being cast in very stereotypical or typecast in a very stereotypical roles. You're an Arab speaking, you're an Arab looking individual, then your ideal if you are maybe wear a beard and start thickening your accent and showcase a scary face in screen, that's the best kind of roles that Arab actors, aspiring actors especially, have been provided with for the past 20 years. So there is that frustrating element to it, right? And uh, But at the same time, what I do in my book also, I, I try to look at how Arab-American filmmakers themselves, right? How have they... Uh, done have challenged basically that sense of exclusion that they they see in Hollywood and Egyptian cinema as well because neither industry recognizes them you know Hollywood and Egyptian filmmakers do not see Arab American as an identity as an as an imagery exists in a in a complicated way and that's why uh, it was I think uh, at the end of the day up to the Arab American filmmakers themselves. To, to take the initiative in producing their own images, narratives about their own cultures and societies, uh, showcase their their differences, their complexity of what mean what it means to be an Arab American. It's very complicated identity, and and so uh, filmmakers since in the post 9/11 context have emerged and produced films, and I analyze some of those films in the book that truly showcase. Uh, how fluid, complicated, multi-layered Arab Americanness is, in in ways that Hollywood and Egyptian cinema cannot, cannot recognize. Now, the 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 infrastructure is possible, as I believe, for change in Hollywood. I, I sincerely believe that there is a possibility to, to do so. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, time, because uh, it's a matter of uh, also because uh, there have been studies that showcase an appetite in the market. Uh, for uh, people of color to see people of color in lead roles. So there is an appetite for change in a way. But at the same time, there is that institutional rigidity that uh, producers tend to to, to somehow, uh, you know, uh, find it difficult to, 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 to embrace difference. Now, the emergence of Amazon, uh, Netflix, Hulu makes things possible, I think, for, uh, for mainstreaming. Uh, portrayals of Arabs and Muslims in the United States in, in big ways, uh, which I think uh, you start seeing in the case of Hulu, for example, 
I don't know if you've ever watched a series there. Uh, it's about, uh, it's called uh, Rami, I think, so, yeah. It's called Rami. There's a series uh, called Rami uh, that uh, showcases the story of a comedian, of course, but his uh, his uh, it showcases him as an Arab Muslim, as a Muslim American uh, who's trying to make reconcile his own identity as a Muslim and as an American in the post 9/11 context. That's a very interesting take that you couldn't see possibly existing 10, 10 years ago. Uh, Hulu made that possible, right? I mean, so. There is that, I think, possibility for change. It's just a matter of time. And uh, the book highlights how uh, uh, that change could look like. And I offers also uh, the epilogue of the book also offers recommendations on for scholars and filmmakers as, uh, themselves too to to complicate uh, how could they could embrace or or adopt ways to change complicate understandings of Arabs uh, and Muslims in the United States. Yeah, that was, uh, as we start to close up, uh, we haven't even talked about specific films at all, which is interesting. <laughs> but unfortunately, um, the we're, we're, I think in many ways, as you're pointing out, we're still at the stage of understanding the issue and trying to get a better understanding and, and sense of, of the kind of things that need to happen in order for uh, this to be to take place both particularly in the United States and the good thing about the book is that you give such great examples of films that theoretically people in the United you know scholars and just film people who are interested in film can find and therefore get a chance to to see um, some of these and I think the more we do that kind of thing you know even in the classroom setting and in, in academics and that will hopefully over time help to uh, bring it onto a, a higher level. I mean, obviously, by discussing it ourselves in, in the academic world and then moving forward, that should help to uh, keep this out in the limelight and something that needs to be done. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that aspect where you give so many different film titles and you carefully explain them so that uh, if someone wants to watch them or if an instructor wants to, uh, a professor or another instructor wants to use them in their own academic work they can see you know with with others they can get a better sense of how best to use them and i hope the filmography at the end of the book because there is a list of films the filmography basically uh, could could prove help, helpful as well well as i say this, we, we've only touched the surface. I, we always say that about books, but in this particular case, there is so much in this book and, and, and in the concept. Not just, the book is a great example of, uh, of what I would call uh, foundational writing where we have to try to get a better sense of the issue and the issues, yes. excuse me, and that's what your book does. It gives us a chance to look at the issues so that we can continue to build on them and, and maybe over time, uh, we can see more uh, work that's more speci that that's specific because you had to build a, build the you know the foundation and and now hopefully it can be built on by you and on others and as I say also with help of uh, others as far as making this whole uh, what you've talked about the this whole issue about mainstream and non-mainstream and that we can we can bring it or keep it out in the open. 
Yeah, yes, I mean that's that's exactly how how I thought about it. I thought about this book as as a chance to, as an intervention in, in, in the field of Arab American studies, but at the same time, uh, an intervention that call, opens the door for that for more. <laughs> and I hope that other scholars, filmmakers, and and students of arts and culture would pick on that and 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 move on. Well, as I say, we've only touched the surface. So I hope people reach out for this book because it's very engaging both because you've got your personal level aspect of it but you also include so much great information and examples that uh, it can make it uh, much very illustrative of your of your points so I really appreciated that you were able to take some time with me Walid and I hope the book does very well thank you so much I really appreciate your 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 time and interest in my book and thank you so much Joel I really appreciate it uh, your, your your investment thank you in reading the book thank you my great thanks to Walid his book is an important view of a neglected segment of the world and its influence on filmmaking this is Joel Cherney and I will be back soon with more new books in film <laughs>